All right, we're going to be in Jonah for the next three Sundays. We're going to be in Jonah for three Sundays. We're going to be in Ruth for three Sundays. And then we'll have our Christmas Eve service. We will not have service on Christmas Day. Um, Christmas falls on Sunday this year, and we will not have service on Christmas Day. We'll have a Christmas Eve service. There'll be two of them uh, over at Radius Lexington. And so... We will be over there uh, that day. Um, John will preach one service and I'll preach the other one. So we're going to ask to gonna funnel you over that way. So Jonah for three Sundays, Ruth for three Sundays, and then our Christmas, Christmas Eve service. So the book of Jonah, we are looking at Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. I'm not going to read. Yeah, we're going to try to read all of it. Uh, Jonah chapter 1. And you know, you know the story. If you don't have your Bible, that's fine. It's a familiar story. I'll go ahead and tell you. God tells Jonah. It's really simple. Um, God tells Jonah to go preach to the people in Nineveh. Okay. God tells him, get up and go to Nineveh and preach to the people in Nineveh. Well, Jonah, he gets up and pays his fare to go and takes a boat to go to Tarshish instead of going to Nineveh. Uh, And there's a reason why he does that. And so they are en route to Tarshish going away from the presence of the Lord, the Bible says. He is being directly disobedient. Uh, there's no miscommunication. He knows exactly what God wants him to do. He does the exact opposite. And so God sends a storm uh, to against the boat where Jonah is. Uh, they eventually realize, the people on board, that Jonah is the reason for the storm. They throw him overboard. He is caught. Uh, God, the Bible says, literally says that God appointed a fish to swallow Jonah up. He's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights before he comes to his senses. And so that's basically the story. But we're going to read through it a little bit. Uh, Jonah 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amite, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down to it to go to them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said one to another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. They said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? Where is your, what is your country and of what people are you? 
He said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God in heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Uh, the men were exceeding afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the Lord, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Uh, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea that the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done it as has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for uh, all of your many blessings. God, we um, thank you for this text. We thank you for this word. Uh, God, please forgive us of our sins. Wash us, uh, Father, with your forgiveness. Um, God, clear our hearts. Help us to hear from you. God, we ask that you speak now. Uh, speak now. We need to hear from you, God. Um, we just ask that your presence, God, fill this place. And that your Holy Spirit speak to us. Uh, we're in need of it. And we thank you, God. Uh, we look to you. Um, even in the presence of what is going on and in regards to what's going on in our nation. Um, God, you, you are our God. Uh, all through the Old Testament, God, there were good kings and bad kings. And through it all, God, you, you were still in control. Uh, God, we have looked to you before this, and we will continue to look to you. Uh, you are our God, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Four, four different things that we're going to look at in looking at this story. Um, Jonah gets a bad rap. Okay, He is looked at as a sinner. He is looked at as a bad person. But this is not the truth. Jonah did not live a life of sin. He was a prophet. He was a prophet. He was a man of God. And there is a reason that God called on him when there was sin in Nineveh. There's a reason that God called on Joseph. He was a man of God. He was God's mouthpiece. And he is not just a sinner in every facet of his life. Joseph, uh, not Jonah, Jonah is not a drunkard. Jonah is not a thief. Jonah is not an adulterer. But one issue, one issue that he has, there is one thing. He's living this good life. He's doing the things that God wants him to do. But this one thing gets under the skin of God that Jonah will not do. Jonah does not have a problem preaching. He preaches to people all the time. Again, he's God's mouthpiece. He does not have a problem spreading the word of God. He spreads the word of God. His only problem, Jonah has a problem sharing the gospel with people that don't look like him. 
He otherwise he is a good man who is living a good life. But this one thing he's doing, God can't let it go. He will not share the gospel with people that don't look like him. The Ninevites, uh, the city of Nineveh is in the country of, or the region of Assyria. And so the Assyrians were there. And so there is a history, and Jonah is a Hebrew. And so there is a history between the Assyrians and the Hebrews. And the Assyrians uh, historically had done some things to the Hebrews, had opposed them, um, and had, and had treated them bad. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's almost, again, not a whole lot was done to Jonah specifically, but there is bad blood between these people. Bad blood between these people. And in the midst of this, Jonah, who is God's mouthpiece, will not share the gospel with these people who don't look like him. He has no problem with God. He loves God. He has no problem with sharing the gospel, but not with these people. And so, again, we give Jonah this bad rap like he's living this life of sin, like everything he's doing is wrong. He's living a good life otherwise, but he will not share the gospel. He will not share Christ. He will not invite to church or small group. He will not tell people about Christ who don't look like him. And so I ask you, do we have that problem? Do we share Christ with people who don't look like us? Do we share Christ with people who don't have our political affiliation? Do we share Christ with people who listen to different music and dress differently and act differently than we do? Do we share Christ with those people? We were talking about it in small group. This is about a year ago. Uh, this was about a year ago in small group. We were talking about it. And so we were looking at, because it wasn't about racism. It really wasn't. This is the group of, we were talking about it's 20 to, I want to say it's 20, 23 people. Uh, and we were talking about it in small group. It actually didn't come down to racism. What it came down to is that we're not in relationship with people who don't look like us. And so that's kind of awkward when you go to somebody you're not in relationship with and say, hey, I know I don't talk to you ever, but will you go to church with me? That's kind of that's awkward. And if you don't see why that's awkward, then talk to me afterwards and I'll explain it to you. Um, that's kind of awkward. And so what it came down to, again, it wasn't about racism. It was about not being in relationship with people who don't look like us. And so the crux of it, and so the devil in wanting you to have the same problem that Jonah has and wanting you to have that same problem, he, he's not getting us with racism. Racism is thrown out way too much. That wasn't the problem. Uh, they, were not, they were not in relationship. They weren't in relationship. Are you in relationship with people who don't look like you? who don't have your political affiliations, who, who, who talk differently or act differently or listen to different music than you, are you in relationship with people that don't look like you, who don't act like you? Are you even in relationship with them? I'll say this. I'll ask this question. Uh, 
This will be just an easy way. Me and John were talking about this the other day. This will be an easy way to figure out. Um, raise your hand if you've had somebody over for dinner in the last year. In the last year, you've had somebody over for dinner. Okay. That's, for those of you that didn't look around, it's almost everybody. Um, even mean people have somebody over for dinner every now and then. Uh, raise your hand if you've had somebody over for dinner in the last year of a different skin color. We'll say that. Different skin color. Okay, that's about, a, that's about a fourth of the room. And so this is the problem. This is the problem that we're having, not being in relationship. Not being in relationship. And so Jonah has a problem. He does not share uh, the gospel with people who don't look like him. And we're not going to really go into that. Um, but this is the, you know, God eventually sends a storm and, and sends a fish to swallow him up. And it all started with that. The second thing we want to look at. Uh, Jonah has a little problem with a thing I like to call self-worship. Self-worship. And so I want you to know that the biggest enemy to Christianity is not Hinduism. It is not Buddhism. It is not any of these other religions that you may think of. The biggest enemy to Christianity, even biblically, the biggest enemy to Christianity is youism. Youism. You may not have heard it before. I made it up. <laughs> I made it up. But the Bible relates to it. The Bible alludes to it. Self-worship. It, the Bible says, uh, this is in one of the worst times in the history of the Israelites. It says, of this time, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And the thing about youism is that you could be involved in it. You could be, uh, this could be your religious affiliation and not know it. You could be guilty of self-worship and not know it because it's something that's hidden. You can go to church every Sunday and be guilty of self-worship. Uh, self-worth, it's, it's, it's not the kind of thing, this obvious thing where you, you automatically and always and obviously know if you're doing it or not. It's not the kind of thing, you, you, you know, it's not the kind of thing where you're standing in front of the mirror, you know, mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all? Uh, no, it, it doesn't have to look like that. I don't know why I remember that. It, it doesn't have to look like that. It is much more hidden than that. It is much more discreet than that. You can be, you can follow God and still be guilty of self-worship. And you won't know whether you are or not until what God asked you to do conflicts with what you want to do. Self-worship, to be guilty of self-worship for that would be applicable to us would be living a lifestyle where you will follow God until it's not convenient for you. You'll do whatever God asks you to do until you just don't want to. Until he asks you to do something that you don't want to. And you come to church because you actually like to. And there are all these nice people here. I would come too, sinner or not. Whether I knew God or not, I would come here every Sunday and eat uh, muffins and all this kind of stuff and back and, and, and fellowship with you all. Whether I knew God or not and be around these nice people who treat me nice and love on me. 
sinner or not, I would come and be a part of this. And so it only comes to a head when God asks you to do something that you don't want to do. To be guilty of youism, to be guilty of self-worship is to elevate your desires above God's. And so you will do anything that God asks you to do until it is in conflict with your desires. And so if God asks you to come to church, fine, I'll come to church. Because you like coming to church. If God asks you to do this or that, God asks you to invite someone to come, God asks you to invite someone to come to church. You invite someone, but you invite who you want to. And so the whole thing, the Bible says, the Bible talks about having a form of godliness. In Revelation, a form of godliness where you have taken what God wants you to do and have morphed it into uh, your, your own form of righteousness. Where you love God on your terms. You invite who you want to invite. You talk to God. Uh, you talk to people about God that you want to talk to about God. The Bible says that the, our prayer, the, the Our Father prayer, the Lord's prayer, it says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done. That should be a daily prayer for you, a daily thing that you seek. God, your will be done. Your will be done. It is something from, from this back wall to, you know, to the front wall to the back wall that we all fight. It is something that we all battle against. God, your will be done, not mine. God, help me to fight this thing in me where I love you on your terms. I, was, I, I told you before that uh, me and Tessa are made differently as far as uh, what we like. I like extravagant things, okay? I like extravagant things. If you're going to do something for me, the more expensive it is, uh, then I'm just like, oh man, you really love me. You really love me. Uh, cute things. You know, it's like, oh, the thought counts. No, it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's the amount of money that is spent that counts, John. It is the amount of money that is spent. That's what counts. That's what counts. And the higher the dollar sign amount, the more I will believe that you love me. Okay? That's just how I'm wired. And so what I'm guilty of sometimes is even in loving her, is sometimes I'll love her that way. I'll love her that way. And I'll give to her in the way that I want to be given to. And so I'll try to do stuff sometimes that spend a lot of money. And she'll end up being upset. You know, forget the mortgage. We'll, we'll be okay. Like, don't worry about it. No, I'm just kidding. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean anything to her when I do that. If I spend five, six hundred dollars on something, it's just like, um, you know, she can take it or leave it. I told you one time I got a limo, had a limo pull. I'll never do it again. I had, uh, uh, paid for a limo, pulled up to the front curb and a white stretch limo. I, for, I forgot what kind it was, but it was a white stretch limo. It was just me and her going on a day. And like she's, she's in the house like with the door, like looking like this, like she wouldn't come out. She didn't want to come out. She was embarrassed by it. It didn't mean that much to her. It like, you know, it, it wasn't, 
it wasn't a good way to love on her. And I eventually, I actually got upset about it. I was like, why, why would you not step out the house in your best walk to go to the limo? Why, why would you not do that? I mean, you should have seen me. I knew the limo was coming anyway. And so the guy came out and I told him to purposely park far away from the house uh, you know, still be on the curb, but far away from the house so I could have as much time to do my walk. Uh, uh, and so, I, and, and I do, when I do my walk, y'all haven't really seen it. Uh, I'll, I'll do it a little bit. I'll do my walk. It's where it kind of goes to the right. And so if I'm going to something, I don't like go at it. Like, it's like, like this. And this is, and this is what, that's my walk. Except it's slower. It's slower than that. It's slower than that. And so I don't go to it. It's like, that's how it is. And my hand's in my pocket. I have one hand in my pocket. But it's not like all of them are in the pocket because that's not cool. But just the thumb, you know what I'm saying? Just the thumb is in the pocket. And then the walk is curved. You can't tell me that's not cool. Oh, my gosh. So I, I, I did the walk to the limo. And, and I'm coming around. I'm coming around the bases, you know, to the to the limo and I look and she's like this I said come on but she didn't appreciate it she didn't appreciate it I eventually got upset about it but then even in talking to her about it and even in praying her about it it was me that was wrong it was me that was wrong why because I tried to love her on my terms and when you love, you don't love on your terms. Love isn't love if it is on your terms. You remember that. Love is not love if it is on your terms. Love is solely based on the terms of the person receiving it. It is not about you. The Bible says that Jesus died for us. What did he get out of it? Nothing. What was in it for him? Absolutely nothing. But we needed it, and that was all that mattered. And so as you love God and you, and, and you do things for him, God will purposely ask you to do certain things like he does with Jonah. He'll purposely ask you to do things that conflict with your desires because he's trying to figure out with you who's God. Are you your own God or, or, or do you actually worship me? Am I actually number one in your life or am I just important? And don't get that confused. Just because, you, uh, just because God's important doesn't mean he's number one. Is he, imp is he number one to you or is he just important? And you'll never know until he asks you to do something that conflicts with your desires. The Bible says that God asked Abraham to kill his son just to see if he would do it. Just to see if he would do it. He asked Abraham to kill Isaac. And the Bible says that right when he was about to slay his own son, the Bible says that God stopped him and said, Abraham, stay thy hand. Abraham, hold up. He said, Abraham, you were going to do it. You prayed, Abraham had prayed for a son for years and years and years. And then God asked him to kill his son and he was going to do it. And the Bible says that Abraham said at that time, he said Jehovah Jireh, which means that God will provide because he provided a lamb, 
uh, a ram in the bush, but it also means that God will see. Abraham said, man, God will see. And I'm telling you today that you can say that you love him. You can say that he's number one in your life. But God's not just going to take your word for it. At some point, something will come your way where God's going to see. And it will purposely, God, like he did with Jonah and like he did with Abraham and so many other times in the Bible, he purposely will ask you to do something that conflicts with your desires just to see who's really God. Is it me or is it you? I know you say that you love me. I know you say that uh, I am number one in your life and I am all that matters to you. But when the chips are down, do you choose yourself or do you choose me? And you don't really know until you're at that moment sitting in front of the computer and nobody's home but you. And it's at that moment, and you can say all the things you want to. You can sing to God all day long. But that moment when you're sitting in front of the computer and nobody's home with you and you're having those thoughts, and and now God will see. It's at that moment when someone passes by you and you're aware of a need that someone around you has. And the Bible says that to, to give to The Bible says to give to the poor is to lend to God. The Bible says that that to give to the poor is to lend to God. And I'm telling you, that's the reason I give. There's nobody I'd rather lend to than God. I might lend to someone else and they may or may not give it back. But if I lend to God, he is going to bless me. And the Bible says, give and it shall be given unto you. This isn't a get-rich-quick scheme. This is a biblical principle. Give and it shall be given unto you. And at that moment when you are aware of someone else's need, do you either just, oh, I, I hate that you're going through that and keep walking? Or do you have compassion? Do you feel sorry for them or do you actually have compassion? The Bible describes compassion as being Poor is not just this all oh, moment. We all have that. I can put some, uh, you know, I can put some dogs on the screen, uh, you know, with the, with the things coming out their ears, whatever. You know, they've been chained in the backyard, you know, for for two years, and the collars, you know, in your all, you know, it's, anybody can do that. Everybody will do that. You have that all moment, but do you do anything? Every single person in this room, just this week, just this week, every single person in this room became aware of a need that someone else has. What did you do about it? It just shows whether you're God in your own life, whether whether this is about self-worship or whether God is really important to you. Jesus said, and you said, well, what does that mean to Jesus? Jesus said, I was I was poor. And you didn't give to me. He says, I was hungry. You didn't feed me. He said, when you did it to the least. And and the the disciples said, they said, Jesus, when were you poor? When were you hungry? Jesus said, you did it to to my brothers. You did it to me. And so that need that you were aware of this week, what did you do about it? God will see. You're at that moment and you're, you're in an argument with your spouse and, and, and God is pushing you to communicate in a healthy way 
to not talk down to them because uh, you're to treat your spouse like Christ treats the church. And so you're in that moment, and, 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 and there's, no, there's no preacher around. There's no radius around. It's just you and your spouse. And God's sitting there looking at you because God will see. God will see. And so this really gets in your business because you can be about self-worship and nobody know about it. You can come to church and do all these different things and it and 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 it never you never realize until your desires and God's desires come to a head. And I am telling you now, God if if your desires are elevated above God's, he cannot use you. It is something I check and I'm not talking down to you. It is something I have to put in check on a daily basis. On a daily basis, I feel my desires trying to to creep up in me, and I have to push it back down. It is the reason that John the Baptist said uh, about Jesus, he said, I must decrease and you must increase. Your your value, it is is actually, and Tessa, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, it is by definition narcissism. An elevated view of self. Yeah. Yeah. An elevated view of self is a definition of narcissism. Where you see yourself too high. Isaiah said, and, and when the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up. He was high and lifted up. It doesn't mean that God was at the top of the ceiling. It just means that God's desires meant more than anything that I felt. And in that moment, Isaiah said, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? He said he saw God high and lifted up in that, in that moment, realizing that what God's will was higher than his and what God wanted was more important and higher than what he wanted. In that moment, he asked of God, he said, God, what do you want me to do? Here am I, send me. Isaiah says this, and when God's desires are truly higher than yours, the first thing that you think, God, what do you want me to do? It's about you. Two more things real quick we're going to look at. The Bible says that Jonah was on the boat with these people, and the Bible says that the storm came. The storm was about to destroy the boat and everybody on it. And it was all because of Jonah. It was all for one person. The whole boat was about to be destroyed because of one person. The Bible says they started throwing out cargo. Possessions were lost and it was all because of one person. And so I ask you, who's on the boat with you? It's the thought that we alluded to the other week uh, when it says, when the Bible says in Proverbs that he who keeps, uh, he who surrounds himself with the wise will become wise. But it says he who keeps company with fools shall suffer harm. He who keeps company with fools shall suffer harm. It is the idea that you can be ruined by who's on the boat with you. 
That is why it is so important who you hang around with. We talked about this the other week, and and, and we're going to talk about it a little more. It is important who you surround yourself with. It is important who you talk to. It is important who you connect yourself with and allow yourself to be in close relationship with. Who you put on the boat with you is important. Here these guys are about to die. They're about to die. And it's because they let someone on the boat that shouldn't have been on the boat with them. And even when they realized it was Jonah. How many times do we do this? Even when they realized it was Jonah and that they were suffering harm because of Jonah. They said, oh, let's. Let's try, let's try to make it. Let's try to make it anyway. And then when it got to the point, they said, oh, we can make it to land. Let's still try to make it. And, and the Bible says that the, the boat was about to be destroyed. They were about to lose their lives. And finally, after they've lost all these possessions and are about to lose their lives, they said, Jonah, we got to put you off. We got to put you off. And so I ask you, how much do you have to lose before you put that person that needs to go off, off of your boat? How much peace do you have to lose? How much joy has to go overboard before you turn to that person who is responsible for destruction in your life and say, hey, you got, you got to go. You got to go. Who's on the boat with you? It, it, it is an important question you need to ask. And the final thing we're going to look at, the Bible says that Jonah, he is thrown overboard. He is in the belly of the fish for three days. In the belly of the fish for three days. And even in praying about it, it's like, God, why, why just not say that the fish swallowed him? Why say that he's in, not the throat of the fish, why is it important that we know that he's in the belly of the fish? The belly, in the belly, even as you eat, the belly is the place, and I'm not going to get nasty on you, (laughs) the belly is the place because as as you eat, you know that when you eat, uh, everything that you eat isn't kept and used for nutrients. There's, no matter what you eat, some of it is discarded and some of it is kept to feed your body, no matter what you eat. Whether that's marshmallows or, 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 or green peas. Some of it is kept and some of it is discarded. And the belly is the place where that process starts. Where something goes down into your belly. And so fluids are released to break down what is inside your stomach. And it is that point where what, is, what, it, what can be used and what needs to go start to separate. And so the Bible says that in being in the belly of the fish, that that separation started to take place for Jonah. His, there, you may be here and you have faith and lust tied up in the same basket. You could have giving Uh, be giving but still have a temper and it be tied up in the same basket and God will sometimes allow you to go through things that separates what he needs from you and what he's trying to throw away it's and we've talked about it before about uh, 
about spiritual chemotherapy where you go through, even with chemotherapy, you, you go through this treatment and it's not about killing you, it's about killing it. It's about killing the cancer. And God, and even in chemotherapy, it is worth almost killing you to kill the cancer. Because if you don't kill the cancer, eventually it will, the cancer will kill you. And so it is worth almost killing you. And so what I want you to know is that God will go through extreme lengths to kill your lust. He will go through extreme lengths to kill your temper. He will go through extreme, uh, extreme lengths to kill your pride. And because, and you may say, God, and you may be in the belly of the fish right now going through something unnecessarily just because you've allowed something to live too long inside of you that needs to be killed. And so God is thinking, I will, I'm willing to almost, I'll take you to the brink to kill that. Because if I don't kill that, it'll kill you. What's in you that needs to die? We all have it. What is in you that needs to die? If you're going through something right now and you, and you know, just like Jonah, Jonah knew, Jonah knew even in the midst of going through it, he said, guys, it's me. It's me. I'm the reason that all this is happening. I know what I need to do. And if you're in this room and you're going through something now, what is it that God wants you to do? What's in you that needs to die? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for all of your many blessings, God. Uh, thank you for speaking to us today. God, help us to witness to others that don't look like us. Help us to not be guilty of self-worship. Help us to elevate your desires and your will above our very own. God, help us to take a close look at who's on the boat with us. There may be somebody that we need to put off. And we thank you, God, for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.